touch of your lips, dear, but much more for the touch of your whips, dear. You can raise welts like nobody else as we dance to the masochism tango. Say our love is a flame, not an amber. Say it's me that you want to... Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the A-Slut Podcast. Obviously, standing for advice, sex, love, understanding, and trust. Just remember, you can always get a hold of the show on all of the social medias, your Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, at the A-Slut Podcast. So, at the A-Slut Podcast Instagram, at the A-Slut Podcast Twitter, Facebook, just search the A-Slut Podcast. You can find me there. You can listen in on Spotify, Pippa, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere basically that um, that you listen to podcasts, that's all good as well. You can also email the show. That's the A-Slot Podcast at gmail.com. Okay? I love hearing from you guys. It allows me to learn a lot more about you guys, and I even learn some stuff from it as well. So please do keep sending those messages in. Um, if you want me to talk about it on the podcast, or you have anything that you'd like me to talk about on the podcast, send that through as well. I'm always up for discussing new things and learning about new things. So, yeah. Go ahead and do that. Every time I hear drums and I Okay, everyone. So we're, we're going to be a little bit all over the place today. We're going to do a few different things. So the main theme of this episode is going to be around online relationships and long-distance relationships, as the title would suggest. But um, I've also received a couple of emails that I wanted to read out. Um, there's also... I'm just going to talk about myself a little bit. Uh, as <laughs> I guess I do every week. <laughs> That's not much to say on that side of it. Um, but this week's been... Uh, I guess it's a fortnight since I last talked to you guys, and this has come out a day late, so it's a little more than a uh, than a fortnight. But um, it's it's been a really tough time for me. Uh, I ended up behind in my rent because I was um, living in a big house by myself instead of having roommates. But thankfully, that's now been fixed. I've got people in. Um, I've managed to. To, to stay in my house, which is nice, <laughs> have somewhere to stay, um, but the, the big sort of, the big thing to happen is that on the 3rd of December, a little over a week ago now, um, I lost my best friend, uh, my, my British Bulldog, Brutus, um, I'm going to put him on the cover of this episode as well so you can all, all see him. Um, he was chewing on a bone. It got a little bit stuck. He vomited, and the vomit went into his lungs. And he, um, after a f- few hours of, of fighting it, he was uh, pronounced dead, which was probably um, the hardest thing that I've ever had to go through in my life. It's not fun. Um Arguably, he was closer to me than than my family, as they live all over the world, and I got to see his smiling face and that feel that unconditional love every day. But um, yeah, unfortunately, these things do happen, and and he's gone now. Um, part of the reason that I bring this up, and I, I don't really like talking about this sort of stuff. I don't really like reaching out and asking people for anything like this, but. Um, I kind of want to honour him properly, and obviously with the with the vet and stuff like that, that's been even more of a burden on what was already um, a very very tough financial burden on me. So I've I've started up a, a give a little page, which is kind of like crowdfunding or something like that, but it's it's based in New Zealand. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes here. Um, all I'm really wanting to do is to is to pay for the vet bills and and. Um, get a little plaque so that if I ever do leave this house I've still got a memory of him that I can take with me. He's now buried in my backyard um, in, a, in his doggy bed and with his favourite chew toy which was my nice leather chair um, basically is his headstone 
Um, so I'd really like to get a little park and pay the vet bills off. So if if you've got a couple of, of spare dollars lying around, um, I, I don't ask for help like this a lot, but please, please do. Um, please, please do help me out in um, in honouring my my best friend and um and helping me out of this little spot that I've gotten myself in. But yeah, so that's what's happening. That's why this is a day late as well. I couldn't really bring myself to to do this yesterday either. Um I'm getting a little sporadic. I'll try and keep it on time a little bit more here guys, but um yeah, uh I'm sorry. Whew. Now, that's all the heavy stuff over. Um, let's talk a little bit more positively now. Um, because, as I stated, I've had a new play partner recently, and we've play had our first play session, and we're doing we're going to a play party um, next weekend, or this weekend for me now, and, which I'm really, really looking forward to, and we're having a bit of a service scene. She's going to wear uh, basically an electrical dog collar around her thigh and I'm going to buzz it each time I need a drink or something to eat or I need her for any reason and then as the night goes on then the more discretions that she has then the more let's say punishment she will get so yeah I'm really really looking forward to that that's going to be a lot of fun um, so yeah, that's what's happening with me. Um, pretty full on, but hey, what can you do? I guess you just got to sort of get on and get through it. Uh, I wanted to start this episode. Like I said earlier on, this, epi this episode is going to be about online relationships and long-distance relationships. Uh, but I did want to start on some listener mail uh, that I got through. Um, one of them was in regard to this podcast. And I'm not sure if I told you guys, I can't remember if I did, but I was also on the Normalizing Non-Monogamy podcast, which came out, um, I think just after my last episode. Um, and that was a really, really cool chat. Finn and Emma are fantastic, fantastic people. And I, I got to talk a little bit about the, the kink side of things, which is something that wasn't overly um, talked about on, on their podcast, which was really, really cool to, to bring a new perspective for them as well and learning a few things myself um so i want to thank the the wonderful person who who emailed me in about that um I'll, I'll read it out here which it's kind of tooting my own horn but i i kind of need that at the moment a little bit I'm not, i won't lie um so she says i won't say the names because i haven't got express permission to say names uh loved your appearance on the normalizing non-monogamy podcast i know them personally and have listened to all of their shows I actually listened to yours twice. I appreciated you being so open as a dominant and somewhat sadistic man. It gave me better insight. You remind me of someone very wonderful I met. He was a rare and interesting, beautiful, kind, caring, and sadistic. You have such a great personality and intelligence. A huge and sincere thank you from Canada. Now, thank you so, so much for this email. It really made me smile, especially with everything that I'm going through at the moment. It's, it's so lovely and so, so nice to be able to hear that. Um, guys, if you haven't uh, yet listened to the Normalizing Non-Monogamy podcast, I really I really think you should. Uh, it is really, really cool, really, really fun. Some really, really good chats about all different walks of non-monogamy and basically everything you can within this spectrum. It's Really fun, really informative, and Finn and Emma are just great, great people. So that was the that was the first email that I received. Also, I got another one, which I'm, I'm definitely not going to use the name of because there could be some sensitive information in this. And I have replied to the email, and I'm going to do uh, an episode about some of the stuff we talk about in here, but I really wanted just to get this out there and, and say to this person, thank you so much for, for emailing in. And, and having the nerve to talk about this stuff as well and come out of your shell a little bit to, to talk about it because it is a subject that isn't an overly common one um, and can be really, really difficult uh, to, to get information around. 
So it says, hello, I'm 22 and I'm from America. It doesn't say America, but I'm going to say America. I just found your podcast this morning and I'm currently listening to episode 8, The Slutty Phase. And you mentioned blood, pay, blood play and how you enjoy it. So back in high school, I had a friend who cut herself and I found her in the bathroom. I consoled her and then had the desire to ingest her blood, so I did. I've since then dabbled in drinking my own blood and am fascinated by, fascinated and aroused by the ideas of making art with it, seeing others in it, etc. It's difficult, I find, to explain to people because when I've mentioned it, it's a taboo subject. Of course it is. It's people's blood. I looked on FitLife a while ago for blood play groups, but mainly found blade-happy assholes who didn't really know what they were doing. Valid. Very valid. This is something that terrifies the shit out of me still. Is that there's people out just willy-nilly. I was wondering if you would ever consider doing a podcast or simply just sharing your experiences with blood play with how you came across it, how you researched it, and how you play with others. Is it mainly IV or do you typically cut or have them cut, etc.? I've also newly introduced to polyamory and you've mentioned your checklist and it has inspired me to make one of my own. I was wondering if you would ever consider sharing your list with listeners. I also find that I need a logical concrete format in order to be able to be comfortable. And I've done things like writing out excessively what my list is, but I've no experience in doing that with others. Anyway, I ramble, and I just want to say that I deeply appreciate your podcast, and I heard that you're going to come to Texas. So when you do, I would love to go to a live podcast, or however that works for someone in your position. I hope you have a fantastic day. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and experiences. So... Again, it's really brave of, of this person to come out and, and actually talk to talk to somebody about this. Even though I did mention it on a podcast and I'm obviously open to it and comfortable with it, it still takes a lot of balls and a lot of guts to, to actually come out and send an email like this. So really, really awesome that you did. Um, I hope you're still listening now and, and, and do listen to this episode. Um, I, I do believe that it's the desire to ingest blood is more common than people think. Uh, it's a big curiosity that some people have, I feel. Um, I could be completely wrong on it, but I think it's it's the step of actually doing it that terrifies people rather than the thought of doing it. Um, but the thought is still there for a lot of people. I'm more than happy to talk about it. I, I probably will do an episode on this as well, and it could could be part of a and a It could be just a full um, episode on just blood play or, or even... Uh, edge play in general, which if you've listened to my previous podcast, edge play is anything that could be dangerous, could cause bodily harm. Um, I do the cutting myself personally. I don't use an IV or anything like that. Um, as a dominant, I prefer to do the cutting. I have received it as well. Doesn't mind it. But I also use a ton of safety precautions. And the amount that my stuff is cleaned is beyond ridiculous to some people's standards. And even then, I quite often will only use an instrument on one person and one person only, and that's just for safety safety sakes. And obviously the usual stuff of getting STR checks, getting blood checks, and that sort of thing, just to make sure there's no diseases as part of that. Um, if, there's the, if there's the desire from people, from listeners out there, um, to to want to have a look at the checklist that I have, the, my kink checklist and my consent form. I'll more than happily send it out to you guys. Um, I will say, however, you can make differences, you can make changes to it. Um, but as as a bit of shameless self promotion, please um, please tell people where you found it. <laughs> um, so that those people might listen or whatever. But if if you're interested in, in seeing these things, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on Facebook. Send me an email. Do whatever you like. Just get a hold of me and and let me know if you wanna if you wanna have a read of it and see what's in there. And it could be because you are coming across a new part. It could be because you want to learn more about yourself. That's when I made it. I actually learned a lot about myself as well. And you learn a lot about the person that is going to be on the other side of it. So I think it's a really good tool. Um, I think it's really helpful. And, yeah, get into it, guys. Um, I'm more than happy to share it. Um, but thank you again to the person who sent this in. 
Okay, I won't name it, I won't say where you're from or anything like that at this point. I haven't got the permission to from the person. But, um, yeah, thank you so much for sending that in. And it's a topic that I would love to talk further about. But right now, let's get this show on the road. And please, enjoy. Everybody knows what an online relationship is. I don't really need to go into that too much, or, or a long-distance relationship for that matter. We know that there's been a lot of people that we know or ourselves have been in online or long-distance relationships, but we don't really talk about how they all work. And, and, and there's definitely a negative stigma on online and long-distance relationships as well. They won't last. What about the physical side? What about this? What about that? Uh, how do you trust each other, so on and so forth, blah, 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 blah. So today we're going to talk about these things. We're going to talk about, the, this, for lack of a better term, the science behind it, the psychological sides of it, and all sorts of different stuff. As you know with me, it's all over the place. Um, I'll probably go back on topics that I've already talked about. But that's only because I think those topics are important. And I talked really fast then, I don't know why. I do that a lot. Um, so there's there's no question in this day and age now, in in 2018, or might be 2019 by the time you listen to this, or whenever. There's there's no question that more and more of us are spending huge portions of our time online, and being the social creatures we are, we develop online relationships in much the same way that we would offline. May have gone out purposely to find the love of our lives on an online dating or chat website. Or we've developed a social network of friends quite by chance through our online interactions. Whatever we're doing online, and our reasons for doing it, it is inevitable that we will encounter difficulties, as well as positives, in our online relationships. For anyone that has spent time online, it becomes apparent that our online relationships can be absolutely sublime, and also very tricky. But why, you ask? Why? What kinds of differences can, be, can we see between relationships that are based purely in the online world in comparison to our relationships based mainly in the offline world? What types of online psychological behaviours do we exhibit? And what does that tell us about our online relationships? Many of the dynamics we see in online relations can be explained pretty easily by traditional psychological theory. In layman's terms, we'll take a look at some of these, and that'll try and help us understand our online relationships a wee bit better, and hopefully survive them as a whole, and completely intact. There'll be a lot of questions asked in this as well, guys. Um, I don't know all the answers. I'm not a trained psychologist. I do. I just do a lot of research into into these episodes, and try and get the best out of it that I can. 
and I paraphrase a lot. If I'm quoting people, then I'll say that I'm quoting people. The role of perception in online relationships is a big one. And here's one definition um, to think about, especially when it comes to online relationships, dating and whatnot. Perception is the process, and oh, sorry, quote, perception is the process of attaining awareness or understanding of sensory information. Close quote. So perception is about sorting and processing the information that we receive through our five senses. Touch, sight, hearing, taste, smell. And I, I personally would add a sixth one, intuition. Can you see now the immediate problem that we may encounter with our online relationships as opposed to our offline ones? It's a pretty glaring one, and this is one of the main detractors of online and long-distance relationships. So obviously, unlike the offline world where we use all five senses to gain information, or six, online we can only really use one, two, if you include intuition. And that's sight. We're also very limited in our use of our sense of sight because we can't benefit from the normal cues we pick up through non-verbal communication. I was reading earlier that only 7% of what we take on board is through verbal communication. A lot more of it is through body language and, and this type of thing. We can see words that are typed, we can see someone's avatar, and we can watch video or see someone through a webcam. If using a webcam or video, we can also use our sense of hearing, but the majority of online communication is through words on a, on a screen. We can't pick up each other's pheromones, we can't communicate via our eyes, we can't communicate via gestures, intonation or tone of voice. We don't know how it feels to hug that person or give them a squeeze of the hand. And we're going to talk about these two missing things here, sensory information and body language. Our perceptual equipment can't be utilised in our online relationships, so we miss out on huge chunks of information about other people that we would normally have. Various studies have been carried out to explore how much of our communication is verbal as opposed to non-verbal. The percentage splits have been different, but what is not disputed is that non-verbal communication is a very, very hugely important aspect of communication and the development of human relationships. Like we talk about, this is a major disadvantage to an online relationship. It's become better and better now with, obviously, you've got FaceTime and all of that sort of stuff that's readily available, but it's still very, very different to being able to reach out and touch someone. There is a study that shows that 93% of communication is through nonverbal means, including body language, and only 7% down to verbal communication. So online... We're stuck with having to try to do all of our communicating, both listening and speaking, with 7% of the tools we would normally use. The, the way that I would kind of try to explain this is that it's trying to fix a car, a brand new car, so a late, I don't know, let's say Mercedes, you know, with all of the computer and the wiring and all that sort of stuff. So I'm trying to fix a car like that with a hammer and a socket wrench. How effective can our online relationships really be with such a limited amount of tools at our disposal? And even in the real world, and to, to, to make this trickier, guys, to make this even trickier, the real world itself, our perceptual equipment is far from perfect. We get things wrong all the time. When, when we think about our online relationships and how real they are, we need to ask ourselves how much we trust the very limited perceptual information we have to go on. Who's in front of the screen? Who's behind it? Do we really know, or has our perceptual equipment given us false information? Who are you on the internet? Are you you? Do you show all aspects of your character and personality, or just parts of yourself? Even if you feel you show all of yourself, do others interpret what you present? in the way you'd like them to? Or are there many misunderstandings about what you mean and who you are? Who are the people that we talk to online? What can, really, what can we really learn about somebody from what they type? Who is looking back at you from your computer screen? Is it the person you're talking to? Or is it simply an aspect of yourself that's being reflected back at you? 
how can we truly tell the difference? There's a big difference between perception and reality. And this, don't get me wrong, this happens in GCRs as well, so geographically close relationships. But, like I said, we were able to use that other 93% of our perception and whatnot. In an attempt to answer some of these questions, let's have a look at some common issues in online relationships and the type of psychological behaviours and processes that we use in our web-based relationships with others. In particular, I want to look at psychological defence mechanisms. Quite common, if you think about it. We all have our favourite ones that we use both on and offline. Uh, but from my experience, the following ones are the defences that we are most likely to use online. And I include myself in this, because I've been in online relationships. I've done all of that. But even after looking in through all of this for many years, I'm not immune to using defense mechanisms. I, I definitely do. I put my walls up quite a lot. I am, however, much more aware um, now when I've used one. The first one here is, is projection, and that's simply placing our unacceptable emotions onto somebody else. Emotions, thoughts, or beliefs we project onto others tend to be ones that we deny we possess. Projection is slippery. It can be very hard to see in ourselves unless we look really hard and are willing to be very honest with ourselves. I, I was really, really bad at this for a long time. I think I still have a fair bit of this now, too, by the way. It's not great. An example of projection would be denying to ourselves that we are attracted to somebody outside of our relationship and then accusing our partner of being attracted to somebody else. We see others carrying out the behavior instead of ourselves. I'm going to say that again. We see others carrying out the behavior instead of ourselves. We're doing the same behavior. Well, we're doing this behavior. The other person might not be. But we see others doing it instead of ourselves. And that's part of the... That is, that is part of the perception and reality sort of differentiation there. The faceless world of the web <clears throat> enables us to project our stuff onto others far more easily than in the real world and to get away with it more often. Since there's, it's not as common to have any challenge or, or consequence to that. Now, the, ne the next part of this is idealization and devaluation, or splitting, as, as otherwise known. Now, again, I'll put this in simple terms as much as I can. Idealization and devaluation, or splitting, means having a strong tendency to see things and people in black and white terms as either all good or all bad. When idealizing someone, we are unable to see them as a whole person with both positive and negative qualities. And this, this happens in... in I would say young love quite a bit, and even even as you're growing older in online or offline relationships or GCRs. Happens all over the place. <clears throat> but in that point, we only see the good parts. The opposite is true for devaluation. We only see the bad qualities that someone possesses, even though in reality we all possess a mix of good and bad qualities. In splitting, we might feel that we are intrinsically bad and Others are intrinsically good, or the other way around. This will express itself as someone putting you on a pedestal while constantly depreciating themselves. In the reverse, it will be expressed as someone having someone constantly give the impression of looking down on you and criticizing your every word. They feel that they are good and you are bad. In the world of the internet, it can be hard to challenge these kinds of interactions, since people often present themselves to us as all good. Offline, we'll soon find out if someone is as good as they present. I would argue this point as well. I think that it's it's very much easy, quite easily doable in um, in GCRs as well, geographically close relationships. Uh, people can put on a face. Like if you meet a guy at a bar, for example, might seem like the best guy in the world. He opens doors for you. He pays for your taxi home. He buys you drinks, etc., etc., etc. Meet him again another day and you think, man, that guy's really, really awesome. He's a top-notch bloke. Go on a few more dates, you find out he's married. 
Not polyamorous, just cheating. Or, you know, whatever bad thing you can think of. But it's it's a lot easier to do in the world of the internet, I would say. We can see that they're not good people in their body language and actions match their words over time. And you don't really have that ability in the online world. And that's why it's a, it's a lot easier to get away with it in the online world. I don't like using the term get away with it. Because I, I hope these people get called up on their shit. The, the the only time that people do tend to reveal their negative characteristics it's it's well they most people don't let's be honest um, and if they do then that's a whole new thing that's opening up and it could blossom into this great wonderful thing but most people don't they hide it from from our awareness behind their own computer screen next one's displacement it's easy to explain, and I'm sure you'll be able to recognize this defense mechanism quickly. Ever have a bad day at work, and then find yourself yelling at your kids when you get home, or your partner? That's displacement. Instead of being angry with whoever or whatever upsets us at work, we displace it onto something or someone else, allowing us to, to discharge some of the emotion. This happens a great deal in the online world. Just look into any forum to see how people let their emotions out on other forum members for the smallest things. Displacement can also occur with positive emotions. For example, someone who finds it difficult to be open and honest in their relationships in the real world may find they can displace their loving feelings onto their online friends. I think that's more and more common um, as, as we're moving on. I really, really do. And I don't think it's a negative thing by any stretch either. I think it's fantastic. Then you have distortion, and it could be seen as cognitive distortion. And they're all basically exaggerated thoughts or thinking styles. Here's a few and some common online examples to go with them. Jumping to conclusions. Such and such person ignored my comment on their article, therefore they don't like me. Overgeneralization. All Indian bloggers are scammers. Personalization. Google has rejected my AdSense application because they don't like my writing style. Person, uh, emotional reason, reasoning. I feel that God exists, therefore he must do. Really simple stuff there. Sublimation. A positive defense mechanism that being on the web often enhances is sublimation. It's when we take our angst and difficult emotions and do something positive with them, such as write poetry, blog our worries away, create art or video, helping others through writing articles about difficulties we have overcome. This is something that I tend to do a lot, actually, as well. When I'm feeling really, really down, I, the best thing that I can do for myself is help other people. Um, it allows me to forget about my own shit and, and uh, focus on somebody else, which I think is... Um, really, really cool. So let's let's sum up these these negatives. Uh, well, not negatives. Let's sum up these defense mechanisms. We all do use these in our online and offline relationships, but it seems to me that the online world actually magnifies many of these, because unlike the real world, there are very few consequences for these behaviors. And they can mainly go unchallenged. Maybe we don't challenge as much as we might do offline, because there is often such confusion about which feelings, thoughts, and beliefs belong to whom. Whatever we think about our relationship experiences online, one thing is true. The emotions and reactions we experience in relation to online exchanges are ours. If we look honestly at what we're getting back from the screen, we can see that a great deal of it is a reflection of ourselves. What I think this means is that the problems that arise in our online communications are an extremely good pointer to our own difficulties, our own anxieties, and our own distorted thinking patterns. 
and I think that that really <laughs> sums up most of what I've talked about so far, you guys. Um, but I want to go through some advantages, some positives, and some negatives that I believe are part of online relationships. Some advantages are that we can meet people we never would have had the chance to. We can test out different ways of communicating. For example, allowing ourselves to be more open, allowing ourselves to be angry. There's fewer consequences for our behavior, so we can afford to take a little bit more of a risk. If we lack confidence, get tongue-tied, or have a stutter, it's not going to be obvious online, and therefore going down the online path might aid in, in your confidence levels. We feel like we can be who we want to be and escape from roles imposed on us in the quote-unquote real world. We can think more clearly about our thoughts and ideas since we have to write them down as opposed to just saying them. We can edit what we say a lot more readily by hitting delete. If we're good at writing, we might actually be able to communicate ourselves better in the online world. Some disadvantages. We often don't make the effort to check things out properly. For instance, if we're having difficult with somebody in the workplace, we may check out if they're having a personal problem, which is impacting on their behavior. People online rarely do this. Why bother when there's a billion other people you can talk to instead, right? We may be a very physically expressive person and use gestures, eye contact, and touch to express ourselves. Not an option on the internet. It's just emojis. We can be lied to and manipulated easily. There's no physical cues there. There's huge potential for misinterpretation of what people are saying. And there are many people that are better at expressing themselves verbally. So I, th I think it's more of a... It depends on the people involved. Really, it does, as to how they're going to go about it and what they're going to be doing. So, yeah. That's um, sort of where I'm at with that at the moment. There's some... Obvious advantages, there's a counterpoints to them, which are your disadvantages. But I, I also want to say, you know, you do you. Now, one thing that I forgot to mention um, with online and long-distance relationships, whichever way you want to look at it, is that there's obviously different kinds. There's people who have met online and started a relationship at that point. There's people who have met offline, but then are meeting, for lack of a better term, build their relationship online. There's people who have been together a long, long time and have had to move away, let it be for work or, you know, I, I want to use the example, you know, people in the military, uh, prof uh, professional athletes would be another one, uh, deep sea fishermen, even truckies, for example, been in a relationship for a long time, but it, it becomes a long distance one after a fair, after a while due to whatever circumstances may be. And I want to talk about now, in a few different ways, interpersonal intimacy in this digital age that we have now. So interpersonal intimacy, and I'm going to be reading a little bit, or paraphrasing a fair bit from an article um, at Elsevier Journal. Internet Interventions, written by Anna Lomanowska and Mathieu Guiton. Some Canadian psychologists. Interpersonal intimacy is regarded to be at the core of the most fulfilling, affirming and gratifying human social exchanges. It is commonly related to a number of comparable concepts, such as love, closeness, self-disclosure, support, bonding, attachment and sexuality with the boundaries between them often considered to be continuous rather than distinct. There are a number of definitions, however, of this concept of intimacy. <clears throat> In a broad sense, it can be seen as a dyadic exchange that involves sharing what is personal and private. It can be realized with intimate interactions and relationships that encompass all sorts of communication, verbal, nonverbal, behavioural, physical, emotional, and cognitive experiences. Now, we all know there has been huge advances in internet-based communications and social networking applications over the last few decades. That's led to a major shift on the mode of human social engagement. 
This shift has resulted in new ways to experience and actualize intimacy, both in the context of pre-existing relationships and interactions with strangers. Physical proximity and direct face-to-face -face contact are becoming less prevalent in day-to-day -day interactions. This is indicated by changes in family lifestyles, like dual-career families, reduced intergenerational living, you don't live with your parents as much, or grandparents, greater mobility, delayed marriage, and the increase in single residence households, as well as by the increase in the number of individuals who report not having a confidant. In contrast, internet and mobile apps, such as email, instant messaging and video chat, have become the mainstays of daily social contact with family and friends. Included in that, of course, is your social networking platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, etc. And since the start of the internet, researchers have questioned whether it would be possible to foster intimate relationships using this medium. And nowadays it's hugely evident that this is, this is easily doable and that there can be similar in meaning, in intimacy and stability in comparison to your uh, GCRs. Online contexts vary according to the features of different platforms, however. The number of participants, the modalities of interaction, whether they facilitate contact and establishment of new relationships between strangers or the maintenance of existing online, offline relationships. Individual differences can also influence which online contexts users prefer and how they engage with others online. We're going to talk a little bit now about new relationships established online and um, and the intimacy as part of that. And after that, we'll talk about maintaining uh, offline relationships in an online format. So many internet and mobile apps facilitate social contact between strangers. Online dating websites like eHarmony, Red Hot Pie, etc. And mobile apps like Tinder or Bumble are specifically designed to facilitate meeting strangers for the purpose of subsequently establishing intimate interactions and relationships offline. There's a, there's a comprehensive review of advantages and disadvantages of online dating for meeting potential partners online and subsequent relationship outcomes. Other platforms that aren't designed for this purpose can nevertheless foster intimacy online, like your Facebook, like your Twitters, like anything like that, really. In particular, by preserving an anonymity online contexts can promote the disclosure of personal information, opinions, and feelings much more readily than face-to-face -face interactions. We talked about this just a moment ago. Meeting and maintaining interactions online also enables individuals to overcome certain gating features that may otherwise deter them from engaging with others, such as personal characteristics relating to sex, gender, age, race, any physical features of appearance, disability, or any other kind of stigma. In many online multi-user virtual worlds or role-playing games, users are able to create avatars that portray personas as similar to or as different from themselves as they choose by varying their appearance, gender, species, or form. These online social platforms also allow individuals to share common experiences as they explore virtual settings together or participate in role-playing games. Taken together, these features of online interactions between strangers can actually accelerate intimacy formation in comparison to offline contexts. Relationships formed and maintained in other online contexts can lead to subsequent face-to-face -face interactions. And those interactions can continue to improve into the real world and develop into that real world. And in some cases have been shown to lead to lasting romantic partnerships and marriages. So we're going to move on to the existing offline relationships. And much of those social interactions occur via the internet and mobile applications like Facebook and Twitter and, and whatnot like that. So it's not anonymous at all. Social networking also facilitates the maintenance of weak ties between acquaintances, but does not typically increase the level of intimacy in these relationships. Therefore, 
In these contexts, individuals generally engage in more intimate online behavior with those who they are already close to offline. Furthermore, various digital applications are commonly used as a means of maintaining long-distance relationships, just like your FaceTime and things like that. As with social networking interactions, the existing nature and closeness of offline relationships is generally maintained in electronic exchanges, although in case of established close relationships, online communication can actually enhance intimate self-disclosure. You feel yourself becoming more open, basically. The overall distinction between online and offline social engagement and intimacy among, among people who have have had that prior relationship, they've been in a relationship before they've gone onto the online side, becomes somewhat blurred, and online interactions is becoming an extension of offline relationships. Another big thing that I've heard, um, especially when it comes to children and staying around computers and social media and all of that sort of stuff, is how it can affect mental well-being of the people involved. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that, the relationship of online intimacy um, to health and well-being as part of this as well. This is going to become a two-parter, by the way, guys. I've, I've realized I've used way more time than I thought I would talking about this so far, and I've still got so much more um, to talk about. So this is going to be, become a two-parter. But the beneficial effects of social relationships have been observed all through. And, but the, the, the research on the health impact of internet technologies is still very young and still in its infancy. Studies of this type mainly focus on psychosocial outcomes. And there has been a number of these studies that have reported positive effects on psychosocial well-being related to online social interactions. Like we spoke about before, there's been the increased self-esteem and self-efficacy, a better mood, greater perceived social support, and reduced loneliness. Also, and this is contradictory to what I believe common thoughts are around it, there's a lower incidence of depression and anxiety. Other studies have reported the opposite relationship between the social use of the internet and psychosocial well-being, including increased loneliness and depression. These discrepancies are likely related to differences in the population studied. In fact, the direction of the relationship between social use of the internet and psychosocial well-being can be, can be completely varied um, depending on the factors involved including the type of social, uh, social app, type of feedback received in these interactions, as well as sex, personality, and social disposition, as well as the level of existing offline social engagement. I'll go back to you know, improving relationships as opposed to making them, as I spoke about just a moment ago. However, studies so far have focused on online social interactions in a general sense. And it sheds a little light on how the level of intimacy in these interactions may affect well-being outcomes. So we'll compare online and offline intimacy uh, in this regard now. And an important question to ask when, when you think about this, about this whole issue of intimacy, online intimacy and health and well-being, is whether the features of intimacy that contribute to health-related outcomes differ between online and offline interactions. Now, if you look at the characteristics of online intimacy that I've just described, certain aspects of intimacy, such as self-disclosure, can be experienced in various online settings, whereas others, such as physical contacts, are very difficult to convey virtually. In addition, the time course of intimacy development online particularly with respect to intimate self-disclosure, can be accelerated compared to conventional offline contexts. Therefore, in order to begin to sort of break this down, whether online intimacy differs from offline intimacy with respect to its health effects, we need to look at what is already known regarding the contribution of different aspects of this. I'm going to talk about three aspects of intimate interactions that have been examined individually in the health and well-being literature 
self-disclosure, social support, and physical contact. We then consider how self-disclosure and social support in online contexts could potentially influence health-related outcomes. Self-disclosure, especially in the sense of confiding, confiding in someone about it, and social support are thought to be really quite important in mediating the positive effects of intimacy on health and well-being. Self-disclosure through talking or writing is known to be hugely beneficial as a means of coping with negative emotions, conflict, stress, or traumatic events. So people who have blogs and they write about them. People who have YouTube channels and they talk about it. People who have podcasts and talk about it. This is all part of self-disclosure if you're talking about yourself. And it's it's shown through the years. There's three studies here, two from Pennebaker and one from Riffensinger, that show that this is hugely beneficial. And one of the immediate effects of self-disclosure is reduced autonomic nervous system activity. So that could be your anxiety. While the long-term benefits include enhanced immune function and improved physical and mental health. Intimate interactions are also a vital source of social support. For instance, when one partner discloses personal feelings, the other provides understanding and, and reassurance. So this can be with friends. This can be getting feedback on your blog or your podcast or your YouTube video and people supporting you. The sense of community is part of that is, is really, really cool as well. Social support and one's perceived availability of support has received a lot of attention as an important mediator of many of the health benefits attributed to social engagement and intimacy. It encompasses many aspects, including emotional, instrumental, appraisal, and other all different other kinds of support. These interactions are important in facilitating the emotional aspects of social support. It helps individuals to gain confidence, and that that com confidence in general and obviously and of course the confidence in their own ability to cope with different circumstances giving that better self-esteem physical contact so obviously talking about the the offline intimacy here now has also been shown to mediate some of the health benefits of intimate reactions physical proximity touching massaging hugging holding hands or kissing and sexual contact are hugely important components of intimate interactions. This is the side where there's extensive literature on it. There's heaps and heaps and heaps that have been written about this. And there's not even just humans that see that, it's animals as well. And it's physical touch is hugely important in the context of parent-infant interactions. This is not so much when it comes to sexual intimacy or relationship intimacy. This is intimacy between a parent and their child here as well. It's also huge when you talk about sexual and non-sexual contact between partners that are romantic. For instance, warm physical contact has been shown to reduce stress Reactivity among romantic partners. Who doesn't love a good hug, a good cuddle on the couch, or watching a movie? Or just cuddling up for a good night's sleep. And a brandy, <laughs> if you're in that way inclined. The frequency of sexual intercourse has been associated with a number of health benefits, including better mood and satisfaction with psychological well-being, increased analgesia, improved cardiovascular function, and stress reactivity, as well as decreased cancer risk. Overall, all three of the above features of intimate reactions have been shown to individually contribute positively to health-related outcomes. However, we're not sure yet whether certain aspects of intimate interactions are more influential than others with respect to health and well-being, or whether they may exert their influence in, contact, in concert. And just to finish this off today, guys, I'm going to go through just this final little bit on 
online self-disclosure and social support. So we touched a little bit on it uh, just a moment ago, but I really want to go into into the self-disclosure and social support side of it just a little bit more uh, before we finish off today. And these online contexts are known to promote to promote and facilitate self-disclosure in interpersonal communication. The health-related effects of self-disclosure online have been studied in the context of internet support groups for individuals coping with various health and emotional issues. These studies indicate that self-disclosure in this context has positive effects on the user's emotional well-being and self-efficacy. And I don't, I don't think this should really just count in, in internet support groups. If you think of, you know, sometimes you get a whole bunch of positive comments on, on Reddit. You post a selfie up, you get a whole bunch of likes. That sort of stuff can help there as well. You tell somebody, and that's, that's your social support side. Uh, if you open up to somebody online as well and say, hey, this is who I am, this is what I am, getting that out there and, and even saying those things can be a huge weight off somebody's shoulders. Uh, and I think that's hugely underestimated as well, guys. I think it's hugely underestimated. I've talked to people I haven't talked to in years this last week, um, obviously because of the my dog situation and my own mental health, and even talking, even coming on and, and doing this podcast and talking to you guys helps helps me as part of that as well. But there, there's. Again, I'll, I'll reiterate that there's not much known about the health benefits of um, of self-disclosure when it's online. There's evidence that there's self, that self-disclosure can improve subjective well-being and promote the exchange of social support online. And they've also become popular settings. No, all online contexts have become popular settings for social support. The health effects of online social support have been primarily examined in individuals with health concerns who participate in online support communities. I'd like to see studies around um, even just friendship groups on Facebook or I think Tumblr's a big one. If you use Tumblr, I'm not, I don't like the changes that they're making at the moment. But there are a lot of great people on that website who really do care about others, even though they don't know them. They're complete strangers. So it doesn't need to be uh, doesn't need to be a romantic relationship, is what I'm saying here. And like I said. There's been the benefits of increased sense of self-efficacy, reduction in negative mood, and other symptoms of depression. There's some well-controlled studies that were made to evaluate the effectiveness of the internet as a medium for social support. And it's the well-controlled part that worries me about that here, guys. If you're controlling something, I, I know they try and make it as you know, as genuine as possible. But if you're controlling something, then sometimes that can affect the outcome of it as well. Just think of the Stanford experiment. Everything was controlled as part of that. The guy running it even got involved with it and, and changed things to try and suit his outcome. But, yeah. Online interactions characterized by certain components of interpersonal intimacy may hold promise for enhancing health and well-being. But we always need further research into this. I'd love to see just seeing somebody who's kind of, I guess, into a Truman Show sort of thing where they've plunged into a, a random social network or something similar. They've got issues. That, that, that they'd like to deal with or like to sort of work on. And I'd like to see how that would go in that sort of situation. Where it's a whole, they've got a whole bunch of friends on Facebook or whatever, but they don't actually know any of them. And just seeing how that could affect the health and well-being of all of this. Surprisingly, though, little attention has been given to the study of intimate online interactions 
in relation to their impact on health and well-being. I'd love to see more. I really would. We can only speculate at the moment how health and well-being effects of online intimacy compared to conventional relationships or conventional on offline contexts. The challenge for future research in this area is to take advantage of existing knowledge regarding the influence of conventional interactions on health and well-being to examine how online intimacy contributes to these outcomes. That's the end of part one, guys. I've loved this so far. I've got a whole bunch more to talk about on this, a whole bunch. We haven't really gone into the long-distance side of it. I've only really talked about online. Um, yes, they do go hand-in-hand hand a little bit. Yes, there are a lot of crossing overs of that, especially in this day and age. But, um, yeah, we're, we're going to leave it there for, for today. Um, do tune in next time. It'll be in two weeks. I'm now, now a fortnightly show here. And, um, yeah, I look forward to uh, talking to you guys again. Please enjoy yourselves.